This is Laz Jacob, another episode of Running with Laz. Today, my guest is Nicole Wade. How you doing, Nicole? Hi, Laz. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. Although, you know, I'm not sure what kind of weather. You're in Massachusetts, right? Boston, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure what type of weather you're actually getting there. But, um, you know, last, I think over the weekend, I was able to run, go outside and run. It was, like you know, 50 degrees. And then yesterday we got hit with a pretty decent snowstorm, about six six inches or so. So I'm like, just got to love mm. this um this Ohio weather, but I'm sure, you know, Massachusetts is probably much <laughs> colder than what, what we get here. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, we've, we had a really bitter cold December and January and, uh, it was very warm this weekend. I ran in shorts on Sunday and we had snow this morning. So keeps you on your toes for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Nicole, what I wanted to do today is, is I think we kind of became friends through Instagram. I know you are, um, you know, you have a lot of followers on there because I'm, I'm kind of, you know, looking at, at the number of followers that you had. So as of like, I don't know, half hour or so ago says 14,000, over 14,000 followers on Instagram. And you had uh, roughly about 2,200 posts. So I always, you know, just follow you and, and take a look at the post and, you know, everything to do about running and, and so forth. Well, mostly about running. And this show, at least what I try to bring to, you know, my audience is, is really just a wide range of, of experiences, people's experiences, because, you know, we don't really get to see that a lot from, Mm -hmm. You know, everybody that's out there, you don't really get to hear their stories. You know, I mean, we see all the winners of these, you know, different road races and everything like that. But I really, I just love to talk to people that have the stories. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, your background and and really what I'd like to to focus on, um, at least initially, is what really drove you to to start running? I mean, how long have you been running and, and what kind of drove you to that? Sure. These are all great questions. Um, So let's see. I started running about 20 years ago and I started running because I was going through a breakup and I was sort of battling an eating disorder. Uh, I was in outpatient treatment and I thought, you know what? I need to get outside, clear my head. I lived on the beach at the time and flagpole to flagpole, so end to end of the beach Uh, was one mile. So really my first goal was to just be able to run one mile out and then walk home. And that was it. And when I could do that, I started to do one and a half and then I started to do two. So this was long ago that there were no garments, there were no iPods. Sometimes I ran with my Walkman. (laughs) Um, Are you talking about the big Walkman that you would carry on your side? Yeah, but I know I'd hold it in my hand and I'd hold my keys in the other hand. And really the truth of it is that I had purchased these sneakers from a Nike outlet mall. They were slingbacks, so no laces. And I I wore them without socks and I thought, this is so convenient. I never need to tie my shoes. And I I look back and I think, oh my gosh, I have done really some crazy things. Um, But I ran this two mile loop and I really felt like it was so healing to sort of 
not look in a mirror, not focus on myself, sort of be external. And, and that's how it started. And, um, it, yeah, and, you know, I worked my way up to five miles. I thought, wow, that's a long distance. I never entered any races, uh, not a 5K, not a marathon, nothing. I just did my little, my little run, and that was the end of it. And um, it was just for general, the joy of it all, really. It's interesting because uh, you get like the visual yeah. of somebody running with a Walkman in their hand, you know. It, it wasn't the really yeah. the, the one that had the little CD or, or was a CD player too, was it? So I started with um, one that had a, a tape check in it. <laughs> and then We're and showing then our age, at, aren't we? That's scary. We are. <laughs> and it's okay. It's totally okay. I'm a bit of a relic, right? So, And then I sort of moved on to this this discman that I carried and I had a Prince uh, CD that I used to put in there. And then one time I fell and, and I remember my, my Prince CD kind of shooting out of the player and thinking to myself, Oh no, my Prince CD. <laughs> I mean, really that's, that's actually a, a true story. Um, so, so really in terms of races, um, the Boston Marathon 2006 was the first race I ever entered of any distance. Now that's it something. Was as, as a, yes, as a charity runner, yes. For your, you know, not many people will, you know, for their first race will run a marathon. So congratulations on that. <laughs> people typically start out with, you know, maybe a 5K, but, you know, from 5K yeah. to 26.2, that's something. <laughs> yes. And I thought, well, you know, it was, it was honestly, shall I tell the story? Sure. Okay, so as long as was, you're willing to tell the story, tell the story. <laughs> oh yes, of course, of course. So this was the end of February 2006, and an email chain had gone out to some folks about a charity, the Walker School for Children in Boston. Uh, they had a bib. They needed a charity runner, and at the time, I think you needed to raise a thousand dollars. Now it's five thousand, but back then it was a thousand. And they had no one to run it. They just had this bib. This is not a thing that happens today, but back then it was a thing. And um, I said, I'll take it. I had never run more than five miles. I had never run in any race before. I thought, what the heck, right? And uh, I trained. I, I really did try to, everyone looked at me sideways. This is not going to go well. I will say that it didn't really go well. I, I, I did the best that I could. I took it as um, did not finish. I dropped out at mile 18. I, I thought this is, you know, this is impossible. This is so difficult. And um, and I, I figured, you know what, let me figure this out. Let me lick my wounds and sort of heal up from this experience. And then in 2008, I did it again as a charity runner and finished it had some unfinished business, had to go back and do nice. it. <laughs> yeah. So what was your, before you attempted the, the Boston marathon, what was your longest run prior to that? I know you said five miles, but I'm assuming it wasn't five miles was the longest run before you actually did that. Right. I mean, you probably ran a little bit longer. I did. I ran, um, maybe 15, oh, okay. maybe. And I did it on that two mile out and back. I was really worried about the fueling, I, I hadn't really figured out how you do that. So I I left some snacks on the wall, on the seawall, and I was just kind of, every two miles I could see my water. And I, I had no idea how to do this. 
Well, you know, the thing is, is like, at least you attempted it. And, you know, most people at that point, if they dropped out or whatever, and that's mile 18, that's kind of like the start of Heartbreak Hill, right? It is, yeah. So did the hill kind of yeah. look daunting to you? Because I've talked to a couple of other people that ran the the Boston Marathon, and, and th- they say the hill is very deceptive. It doesn't necessarily look bad, you know, or or steep or kind of scary. It's just it's it seems like it's a gradual incline that just kind of you know kind of takes it out of you know a lot of runners i mean not you know you you always see like the professional runners just fly up that thing and make it look like it's nothing you don't even know they're running on a hill but you know for the Mm -hmm. other people that are out there probably running boston for the first time it's like oh what what did i just do (laughs) (laughs) well i'll tell you something about heartbreak hill and the reason it feels challenging is because it is a net downhill so you are, the, the tendency at the beginning of the race is to start a little bit quicker. There's sort of the adrenaline, the rush of the crowds, it's Boston, but it's also downhill. So you kind of go cruising down, down, down from 17 miles, right? And then you have to climb yourself out of that. And if that, if you get there and your quads are really fatigued, you're going to have a very challenging time with the hill. Now, I will say that I ran in 2008 quite slow, but, or a bit slower than I run it now, a marathon now, but I didn't realize that I had actually hit Heartbreak Hill at the time until I was beyond it, because I didn't know that's what it was. Like, I, I think in my head, I was like, I was expecting a mountain, All right. and it, it, never, it never presented itself like a mountain, so I, I wasn't even aware that it had happened. So have you ran Boston? You've ran it more than twice, though, correct? Just the two times. The I'm two times. running it um, in April. Okay. Now, are you running it for mm-hmm. a charity again, or did you actually qualify with time? I qualified. Nice. Now, which race did you run to, to actually qualify? And what is what's what is the qualification? It's got to be, what, at least three hours and maybe ten minutes or something, or is that a little bit faster? Well, that's for the guys. For my age group, it's a three. 45 and I ran it in 335.11. Now, did you, because I know that, um, you know, one of the other guys that I, or I had interviewed, he's, uh, uh, he's also a two-time Boston qualifier, Boston runner. And he said that you, you know, I think his qualifying time for his age group was around 340, somewhere around there, but you almost had to run like a 335 because of, everybody that you know does qualify and they send in you know their form or or you know registration that you know they can't take everybody so they actually you know cut it off at a certain time so even though the qualifying time is 345 you know or something like that you may have to run like a 340 or you know five minutes faster than your qualifying time just to get in because of the number of people that that um, actually uh, register for the race yeah so there's there was a, about a three-minute and change cushion. I would need to fact-check the time um, that you needed to overshoot your time by, because of the uh, the amount of qualified runners in each age group. So the BAA sort of lets the fastest people enter first. So if you're, you know, over 20 minutes beyond your qualifying time. You know, you get to register on uh, Monday and anything over 10, you register on Wednesday. And then 
uh, I believe anything, you know, over five minutes goes on Friday, everyone else goes on Saturday, and then, and then you sort of see how much space is left. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think they don't they limit the race too for to a number of of participants. I remember the first one I watched I think was 1990. Oh boy, I think it was 1997 or 96 when it was the hundredth running of the Boston Marathon, and that time I think they let just a number of different people, you know, get in and and do the race. So they had you know the area where the race starts um you know the different corrals and and there i think they were anticipating it was going to take like 30 minutes just to get to the start line for the last corral but i think it actually went went quicker than that so they kind of had it down to a science um but boy it was just you know i, I think if anybody really wants to run a marathon boston is probably it it's just a, you know you have to qualify for it or do a charity Sure. And then there's a little known fact that there are some waivers available in Boston. So very, very small amount. And there's sort of an invitational. Um, I, I coach track at community running and we got two this year. And so those folks do not need to charity or qualify. They simply get a waiver. Nice. The yeah, BAA I, gives those out. I think it's just the, you know, if most runners dreams, if they're in, if they're into marathoning, you know, Boston is just, is just it, you know, it's just, you know, it's on a Monday versus a Saturday or Sunday. Cause it's Patriots day. The weather yeah. could be, you know, hit or miss, <laughs> you know, anything. just be prepared anything. for anything. Right. <laughs> right. I remember yep. watching the, um, the one year where they started doing, like you were saying, they have a controlled start, especially for the wheelchair division, because it's, it is downhill for that first, you know, at least it's pretty steep hill, I think, at the start. And they, they've they actually had a couple of, of wheelchair incidents where, you know, people wrecked or whatever on the wheelchair because, you know, they just started going too fast. So they actually do that controlled start for the wheelchair division. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was looking yeah. at, um, have you done have you done other marathons besides Boston? Well, um, Bay State and Sugarloaf, probably my top two. And where are those at? Are those in your state or somewhere else? So Bay State Marathon actually just made one of the top 25 qualifiers in the country. They were just voted for that. It's in Lowell, Massachusetts. It's on the North Shore. And Sugarloaf is uh, in Maine. And it's, it's um, I don't want to get the name of the town wrong, but it does go through several towns because it's a point-to-point race as opposed to like uh, Bay State, which is a double loop. So that's, you know, twice around. You get to see everything two times in case that's uh, something that interests you. But um, but there, I think there's benefits to both, both types of marathons, you know. So when you do your point-to-point, mm-hmm. uh, I've done a point-to-point half marathon, but when you do a point-to-point marathon, how, how, do they actually bust you to the starting line? Or do you actually have just somebody else take you there and drop you off and, and hopefully pick you up at the finish? Yeah, so my husband drove me for Sugarloaf. It's a very small marathon, and it was pouring the day that I went. I mean, lightning at the start, just a lot of rain. And in a fun fact, they do not use a starter gun. They use a shotgun, 
which I wasn't prepared for because <laughs> there was no warning before it happened. Lucky it wasn't a cannon or out. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah, there was no national anthem. There was just suddenly a gun. <laughs> what is happening? No, <laughs> um, so that'll wake you up for sure. Um, but with Boston, you know, getting bust out is definitely the way to go because there's Athletes Village and um, there's tents and things. So it's, it's much better that way. Um, but uh, I think it really depends on, you know, the size of the race and, um, you know, it, there's usually information about how to do that. I, I do like a, a loop because the start and finish is usually in the same spot and, and it's better for spectators, right? So if right. you've got people who are supporting you, you know, they can see you multiple times on the course and there's usually information about where's the best place to see your runners and things like that. So I guess that's the other benefit of, of something that isn't point to point. Yeah, I definitely like the the loop races. Um, it, it's a little bit harder, I think, for the runners, you know, because sometimes when you get to that, you do your first loop, you're not really necessarily feeling all that good, possibly. You're like, oh, you know, I could really drop out, and, and I'm right here at the, <laughs> the finish, you know. So, But it is, is, it is great for spectators because you know how it is with races. I mean, you, you just – you're either running out or back, and, and they're really – depending on the size of the race – you know, your family or whoever you bring may not necessarily get to get to see you. So that's kind of cool to, to actually do that. Of course. So, you know, I've been noticing your your running times. You're you're very fast. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm looking at, you know, sometimes you're doing your, your races and or your running or your runs and your average pace is, is pretty good. Now, how did I mean, you know, started 20 years ago, but but. What type of training have you have you done over that period of time to you know to con- continue to get faster, and you know what advice would you give other people out there that you know maybe looking to to start running and and you know focusing on trying to get faster or you know I, I typically say that you know the first couple years of running you probably shouldn't do much speed work or anything like that just because your body's not necessarily not necessarily used to it but. You know, what, what advice would you give other people out there that are, are thinking about just starting running? Oh, this is such a great question. I love this. Something I love to talk about. So um, I would say that really some of this depends on your goals. If your goal is endurance or speed, you can certainly do both. So I like to have a little bit of a base before you start adding speed work. So typically, I would say that if you're comfortably running 30 miles a week and you're not injury prone and you're feeling good, we can add in some speed work. So I always suggest that. Uh, So speed work, um, I really like to talk about hitting your weakest point and it kind of working on those things. My weak point is the tempo run. So I definitely hit the tempo runs because it's what makes me stronger. It's usually the things you don't want to do that you need to do. <laughs> right. Um, right. And so in speed work comes in so many great forms. Um, there's progression runs. So um, that's when you just can't kind of get faster as you go. Mentally for me, this is a favorite. It makes the time go by quickly. Um, I keep adjusting, right? It's like boiling frog syndrome frog does not notice the increase in temperature, much like you might not notice the increase in pace. Uh, but if you started out at the faster end, you would probably notice that. Um, there's wave tempos where you you kind of go, you know, 
5% faster than your tempo pace and 5% slower and sort of back and forth. And, and that's a really a nice way to do that. It makes the, it makes the uh, faster paces seem a little bit easier over time. Um, and then there's, you know, re- classic repeats, right? 400 meters, which is a quarter mile, 800 meters, half mile. And, um, and there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. So I would say that, you know, it's sort of figuring out what your goals are is important, right? So if you can nail that down first. So if you wanted to do some short distance stuff, I would probably strongly suggest that you do some short distance speed work. Things, you know, if you're a miler, you want to be doing kind of 200, 400 sort of shorter stuff is usually what they hit. That's not to say they don't do anything longer like mile repeats, but that kind of helps you with that turnover, that strength that you need in speed work. And uh, run a long distance runners, you know, we like to do a little bit of a longer situation. So, so really, I think that that's just one component of good training, but really there's the mental stuff. Because I think it can be very easy to get bogged down with, with feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. And that right there is the killer. That's the end of it. The second you start to doubt is the moment that it will not work. So I'm assuming for your, you know, for marathon training, you're probably, I would think, probably doing some mile repeats. Yeah, so right now I'm doing, really it depends on where I am in my training schedule. This week, um, I haven't done any mile repeats in a while because I did those earlier in my plan. Uh, But I did a progressive tempo run yesterday, and I'm probably going to do another tempo run tomorrow with maybe some faster strides at the end. And then on Saturday for my long run, there's going to be some marathon-paced miles towards the end of the race. So really getting those good fatigued legs, working on marathon goal pace miles just to see what that feels like when you're already tired. So what's your, what your, what is your goal pace for the, for the marathon, for the Boston marathon? Do you kind of have a, do you kind of have a feel for, you know, Hey, I'd like to do, you know, three thirty somewhere around there, maybe faster. Yeah, um, I tend to be a little bit closer to the vest on this. I, uh, I honestly, you know, my goal is to really do well. I mean, my, my plan for this training season has been dialing in everything. My nutrition, my strength training, my diet, my core work, my hill work, my cross training. So everything that I've been doing has really been to support getting stronger and getting faster. I'm not really married to a time. I, I, I have an idea, like, you know, pie in the sky ideas. But honestly, I'd love to break three before I turn 45. Oh, that's, that's so awesome I'm just time. kind of breaking this into smaller manageable chunks and then approaching it more methodically. So this one, of course, faster <laughs> than the last one. <laughs> but I, I do feel a lot more clocked into this than I have in the past. Now, when you when you do your, like your mile repeats or your speed work, do you try to just go maybe you know, I don't know, a few seconds faster than what your what your probably goal pace is, or do you you know go a little bit slower? How does that how does that normally work? And not just you know not necessarily for you know your your Boston Marathon, but you know your your training. Um, so let, yeah. you know, I, I do want to say that you know I know that you know 
that you are a coach and, and, you know, you do a lot of, um, you know, training of other people. So you're very well versed in, in how to set up training programs for individuals and, and so forth. But, you know, there's so many people out there that I think not only for marathons, but, you know, any race that they do, the training is just, I think, what gets them, you know, either they're overtraining or, you know, definitely on what should be considered their slow day, they're running, you know, way too fast, even on their slow days. So I know I've, I've been mm-hmm. guilty of that over the years that I've been running. Sure. So uh, a tempo pace is something that you can, you know, about hold for an hour. So it's going to be faster than your marathon pace. In fact, it's it's going to be, oh, I don't know, somewhere in your 15K, maybe leaning towards your 10K pace. 10k pace time so somewhere in that area is where your tempo pace lives right and there's a a bunch of online calculators the daniel's v dot calculator is pretty great um i so i will tell you the the thing that i feel that i'm the most guilty of is being very nervous about running faster i sort of think maybe i need permission from the running gods before i try (laughs) this this is my must not be okay right? right um so, so really for my long runs, uh, my easy runs rather, you know, I do work a little bit in the heart rate stuff. So making sure that my heart rate's low and sometimes that, that pace will vary, right? Just depending on how recovered I am. And, um, and honestly, what feels good is sometimes what I go with. And that's really what I do with my athletes too. If it feels good, we roll with it. I mean, you can use calculators forever, but in the end, a person is really dynamic and there's a lot of things that go into this, including self-talk, including other types of care. So sometimes you can look at the numbers and say, this is great, but you can do more. Or you look at the numbers and you say, "Mm, we need to change this a little because you're not getting enough sleep because, you know, you're, you're injury prone. We're having some issues with gait or form or something else. So really, I think there's a lot of factors. Oh, sure. I had a gentleman on that, you know, he's been running for 60 years and I've known him for a long time. Mm. And, you know, he was my kind of my go-to guy for my Achilles injury when I was kind of going through all that about three years ago. And, you know, he's very much into the heart rate training. And, you know, when I, when I first did started doing some heart rate training, they said that, you know, on your easy days, you, you shouldn't really exceed 70% of your max heart rate, maybe even lower than that. It almost yeah. feels like you're out there like a such a slow jog or maybe even a fast walk, you know, can get you up to about 70% of your, you know, your heart rate. So you're sitting there, I think in most people's minds are like, you know, I'm just not running fast enough to really do me any good, you know, even though, you know, it really is, you know, it's definitely better for their heart. You know, that's the whole thing about over, over training, running too fast on your easy days and then you're just, you're, you're too tired. By the time race day comes well sure and you know the benefit of the slower runs right no matter what your pace is for you, for your range and there you know the, i always want to kind of check the ego at the door right because sometimes i look and i think oh okay well that's it doesn't matter it's just time on your feet and it's also you're flushing out your muscles and you're getting them ready for the next run. Um, you know, you're burning fat when you're running slower pace miles anyway. And, um, it really, it really sets you up nicely. Gives you a nice foundation. 
Absolutely. You know, and, and the thing too is like what he was saying, and, and I'm sure you're aware of this too, is that, you know, cause every morning he would measure his, his, you know, resting heart rate. And if it was up, you know, a little bit more than what it normally is like his, his baseline, then he would basically say, Hey, I'm, I'm overtrained. You know, my heart rate really mm-hmm. isn't, my resting heart rate really isn't dropping to where it really, it should be. So um, you know, a lot of good information that, you know, that, that was provided there too. And it's also important. I think that, you know, definitely don't overtrain and, and people, like I said, they're thinking if I'm not running fast, I'm not going to do well, but you actually probably do better. I think that's why I've seen before where, you know, people actually come back from an injury and they actually run the race faster than what they probably would have if they weren't injured because they they're rested or, you know, they've rested themselves. Sure. Sure. So I want to ask you, you know, just, you know, 20 years ago when, when you started running and, and, you know, going out a mile and walking back now, you know, everything that you've done over this whole time period is extremely impressive. So tell me about, you know, how you migrated from just, you know, getting out, walking with your Walkman, listening to Prince and, then, you know, where you are today, <laughs> because like I said, I read everything, you know, running, uh, strength, wellness, you're RRCA certified. Uh, I think you do some track coaching as well for your, you know, the community. Tell me how you kind of went from where you started to where you are today. Uh, thank you for all of, all of that. Uh, and for asking, um, well, it just kind of, it kind of happened. And I think a lot of it was kind of organic, I, I started, um, you know, I, I'm an impulsive person. Uh, I, I readily admit this. And of course I was going to take that bib. Of course I was going to go back and, and finish Boston. And, and then I had started signing up for some half marathons. But I think newer runners started to ask me a lot of questions, even though um, I didn't really feel like I was the authority on much of anything. I had just sort of moved beyond sort of your regular gym rat, right? I liked the elliptical. I could kind of do that for a long time. And they started asking questions like, how did you train? How, how did that go? And things like that. And some people started running too. And I thought, oh, this is really great. And I kind of got it in my head that maybe I wanted to coach other people. Like maybe I could do this. So I signed up finally for the RRCA training and uh, I, I passed my test and took my CPR test and started a little business. And I think that really I struggled in the beginning with feeling like I had a seat at the table, really. It, it felt like maybe I wasn't accomplished enough to coach or maybe I didn't know enough to coach. So I think that the early stages of that were definitely there was a lot of imposter syndrome, um, self-work. I needed to do a lot of self-work surrounding that. <clears throat> I needed to do a lot of work surrounding my own training plan and being serious about my own training. So really it was an opportunity to sort of start deciding what was important and then work on the things that I felt were important. So if you say something is important, it needs to be important. Sure. Otherwise it's just kind of a wish. And, um, and really, I think that that it all sort of, sort of like came together. 
I think uh, I got serious and I started to realize that I love this even more than I thought I did. And uh, a year ago, a little over a year ago, Community Running reached out and asked if I'd like to be uh, the Wednesday night long-distance coach for them. And I said yes. Oh, that's awesome. So it's it's been a wonderful opportunity. Uh, you know, the Boston running community is really fantastic, and there are some wonderful runners. Uh, it's It's just so great. So really, between my business and community running, uh, I get to interact with runners all the time. And it's sort of, I, I really can't think of anything better. Honestly, it's been such a joy and a blessing. Well, you know, it's, it's great that you say that because, you know, I've been running, you know, since 1991, you know, with some time off here or there. And, you know, I, I love, I did 50 races last year, you know, mainly shorter distances. But people are like, you know, why would you want to do, 50 races, you know, I'm older, so it's like, it's a little bit tougher on, on your body. But for me, it was more of the camaraderie, you know, just going to a race, being with people that, you know, are really doing the same thing that, that you are, you know, passionate about that. And some of the races I went to, you know, have, have, you know, a a special needs category and it's just great seeing, the smile on, you know, people's faces that are in a wheelchair, but yet, you know, they get to finish a race, you know, shorter distance, but man, it is just, it brings tears to your eyes, you know, that, and I always, when I, the first time I saw a race like that, I said, you know, I will never ever complain about a slow 5k again, you know, or something like that, because at least I got to run and finish and, you know, other people, they, you know, they can't do it for whatever reason. So I just, I thank, you know, my lucky stars that I'm actually able to get out and, and, and do this thing that, you know, that I love to do. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think that there's, you know, being able to move your body in nature in a way that feels good, um, with other people who are like-minded and, um, driven. I think that there's something that connects us all. And, uh, it's kind of this like adult playtime. You're sort of like, get outside and play, and exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, and I I really do love that. Well, tell me about your um, you know, not just the running, but I know you do probably like strength training and and wellness. So, how do you try to incorporate your strength training? Do you work Do you work out with weights, or is it just you know core work? Or can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So I strength train two to three times a week, and that's all with with regular weights, free weights, and sometimes cable. Uh, I'm not a fan of the machines. They can sometimes put your body in an unnatural position, especially if you don't fit the machine well. So um, just for movement reasons, I usually use barbells or dumbbells. And I do full body. Sometimes I do splits if that's what feels best or works best for my schedule, or sometimes it's just you know, supersets, full body, that kind of thing. Now, do you do the free weights on the same days that you run or do you alternate? I mean, how much, how, how much miles do you average, you know, per week? I run between 50 and 60 miles a week wow. and I definitely double up on the strength training because there's no way for me to do it. That makes sense. Right. And I do have a full-time day job. So kind I was going to ask I, you about that. 
<laughs> so that's actually still happening. Um, and I, I really do need to. So I'm, you know, my runs start somewhere in the 5 a.m. block, um, sometimes a little before. And I need to be in work by 8. So everything needs to be done before then. And so, um, so yeah, so a couple of days a week, I'll double up uh, on Sunday. I do my long run on Saturday, but on Sunday, I'll do an easy run before the gym opens and then drive to the gym and lift. That's how I get around that. The gym opens at seven. So I can usually fit that all in there. And then twice during the week, I have to double up. Friday is a full rest day. I do not run on Friday. Usually. Now, with the weather that we've been having, so I know there is, I think, much colder than what we get here. But I know, you know sometimes I've seen on your posts where, you know, it's just it's black ice out or too much snow or, you know, minus 10 in the morning, especially yes. at 5 a.m. Do you resort to running on the treadmill or do you do you like running on the treadmill? How does that actually work for you? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure there might be something wrong with my brain because <laughs> I don't mind the treadmill. I actually don't mind any running surface except like maybe trails when it's dark. Like that doesn't seem appealing. Uh, but other than that, honestly, I'll run pretty much on any surface. It, it doesn't bother me. I've never really considered it. I think that for safety reasons, you know, if there's black ice, I'm not risking it. I know that there can be, I think, on social media, this, this, uh, you know, hashtag opt outside or, or sort of like um, what feels like if you're not running outside through all weather or whatever's happening in your life, that maybe it's not the same. I, I would strongly advocate that whatever works best for you is working. You should definitely do that. So for me, I don't mind the treadmill. It's it's come in really handy. I did need to do a couple of long runs on the treadmill in the maybe a month ago. We had a blizzard and then another snowstorm, and you know, it, honestly, it wasn't safe. I live in the city. There's no sidewalks, and sometimes you can't run in the middle of the street in the dark. Like you right. just can't. It's not a good idea. So uh, you know, I just been making it work. And the last couple weeks. I've had some great long runs outside, and it's been fine. Not a problem. So what was your long run on the treadmill? Oh, boy. Uh, I think, <laughs> I mean, my longest ever is 17, but wow. I think I did a 14 and a 16 inside not long ago. Do you have, like, a TV set up where you're, like, watching TV or, you know, something to distract your mind? Because I think the longest I've ever ran on a treadmill is probably like eight, eight and a half. And I actually broke it up. I ran four and then ran four again. I just couldn't, you know, do that like eight miles straight. But I thought, you know what, maybe if I had a TV set up there or whatever, then I could probably do that. But um, I think that would be a little bit difficult. You yeah, probably have I like this big so. surround sound system and everything like that. Or, you know, watching <laughs> watching like repeat Boston marathons or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, something to motivate you. Um, right. Okay, so I'll, you know, in all honesty, I ran 10 miles on the treadmill this morning. <laughs> and we were getting another bout of snow. It was so slippery outside. <laughs> I, I went outside, dressed for outdoor weather, and I mm -mm, changed my mind, went to the gym, knocked out 10 miles. Uh, I don't watch TV, and I don't listen to music on the treadmill. 
So uh, I just think. Uh, you, you get to, do you get to people story. watch? I guess if you're, if I you're, guess so. are you, when you're running on a treadmill, do you, do you run at home or do you go to the gym? Probably maybe both, right? I don't have a treadmill in my house. Oh, so okay. I have to go to the gym. I have to go to the gym. That's some dedication. I have to go to the gym. That is some dedication. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, every, you know, cause I, you know, I've gained a little bit of weight and we've kind of talked about that before. And, you know, so mm -hmm. try to, you know, trying to lose the weight. And, you know, my buddy was perfect about this. He said, well, he goes, running a faster time must not be that important to you if you're not willing to give this up. But yet, you know, you say you want to run some, you know, get faster like you were three or four years ago, then it just must not be that important to you. And it, you know, he hit it right on the head. It's just, you know, I know I can get faster if I drop the weight, but I just can't get it up here in my mind to to do it. So it just must not be that important to me. Hmm. I think that in the seasons of life, things will come and go out of importance, right? Yeah, I agree. I think that sometimes sometimes things uh, are very important to us, and sometimes it's okay if they're not. Yeah, you know, it was like last year when I did that that. 50 races boy towards the I think it was the last two or three that I did I just I felt like I had absolutely no energy you know for those last three races and I mean it was it was all good I wasn't really you know wasn't really focused on on time it was more just kind of getting through it and just enjoying being around people and and those last two races were kind of you know, one was the Christmas Story run. So I'm not, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the Christmas Story movie. The house is in Cleveland, mm -hmm. so every year they do the Christmas Story run. So it's kind of cool. You know, my daughters do it with me, so that's that's kind of nice. And then we have like the reindeer run the next day, so that kind of finishes up the the race season. So just again, for me, it was just being around people, and you know, saying that I did you know 50 races in my in my 50s. So that was kind of cool. That's so fun. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about the the wellness. Uh, I know that um, do you you kind of develop your own meal plans, uh, and do you do that for people as well? Hmm. So I'm currently um, getting my holistic health coaching certification, and uh, topics that are really important to me <clears throat> are some of the things that I talk about on Instagram, like self-care, like goal setting, like the importance of sleep, which I posted about recently and, and how important repair is, right? And how important it is for your immune system functioning, which you kind of need a healthy immune system if you're going to run well. Sure. Um, but I think that there's a lot of things that go into overall wellness, everything from um, having a spiritual practice that resonates with you, uh, creativity, relationships, um, your relationship to finances. So I think there's a lot of things that go into that and it's not uh, a static a static thing. I think that you could eat all the kale you wanted, but if you're in a career that you hate and in a marriage that's unhappy, you can't really be a well person. So I think that really my, you know, what I'm sort of moving towards is health coaching on a bigger level. So not just the food, but also some other things. Sure. Yeah. But I, I do develop, I've been developing meal plans for folks and um, strength training plans as well. So yeah. So just sort of looking at all of that and how the happiness factor plays into your overall wellness. Yeah. It's got to be 
pretty satisfying, I would think. I know it's, you know, based on at least what what I've seen of you. I mean, you have like, I don't know how you have a a full time job either to be able to kind of like manage this whole <laughs> this whole thing that you have. Because I mean, you're honestly, I mean, you're posting I think two or three times a day, and you know, it just it takes a lot of time to be able to to manage all that. And, and I'm sure that you probably get a lot of people that, you know, message you and say, Hey, you know, what about this? Or, you know, just asking your advice on things. I mean, to be able to have the time to be able to, to handle all that, you know, kudos to you. Um, like I said, I mean, 14,000 followers. I'm, I'm sure not everybody, <laughs> you get 14,000 messages. Hey, you know, can you help me out with this? Nicole? <laughs> so it's a lot of messages. Right. Well, I will say that, Right. To answer your question about the post, I do, the only time I post twice a day is uh, on Tuesday and sometimes on Sunday if I have a, an extra post I want to talk about. Other than that, it's just the once a day in the morning and it's just the workout that I did. So, um, so it's just the, the one typically with a couple of outliers. And, uh, and so I really try to make sure that I prioritize what's important. I mean, I don't get paid to be on Instagram. Um, I don't take sponsorships usually. I'm not um, an ambassador for anything. So, you know, that does make some of it a little bit easier in that I am not obligated to post on a certain topic and um, and things like that. <clears throat> but I, I will say, you know, there's, there's um, you know, I, I definitely do get messages and I, I really do try to help whoever I can, if there's something I can do in some capacity, uh, I, I just try to make sure I schedule those responses into my schedule. So really I have a planner and I kind of live and die by it and everything's going to fit in there. And it does right now take away a little bit of spontaneity and that, you know, if it's not scheduled, it probably isn't going to happen, but that's okay. So the season that I'm living in right now is that I'm busy, but over glorifying busy is is not good either. So you need time for relationships, for friendships, for all my other hobbies, which we don't even talk about because they never make it to Instagram. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I see it your really post, I'm like, I'm like, this is all she does is just run. This has got to be it. No, no, <laughs> she has no life not, other than that's running. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens before 8 a.m. every day. So right. that's the rest of my life is the rest of my life, really. So, Yeah. That's pretty much it. We schedule, I schedule everything and, and try to just stay on top of it. And what doesn't get done does not get done. That's it. You know, when you say that, you know, before 8 a.m., that, I mean, that is absolutely serious, correct? I mean, most of what you do is before 8 a.m. when it comes to like your, your running and, and fitness and all those things. Yes. Yep. I don't really, you know, if you see anything else in my stories, it's uh, kind of just, extra stuff right it's not it's it's outside typically outside the scope of running so heart and soul running can you can, can you tell me about that yes so when i was trying to think of a business name uh, my husband and i were on a boat headed to martha's vineyard and i get really nauseous on boats or anything that moves as it turns out uh so and we you were live thinking, right by the ocean. you know, I was trying. Me? Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Boston, <laughs> but does uh, not. Um, you just start, try not to venture out onto the ocean much, right? 
Yeah, I'm fine if I'm swimming. It's actually <laughs> just cars, planes, trains, boats, really anything that moves. If it moves, I, I'm probably going to feel sick. <laughs> so <laughs> not so good. But, uh, but, you know, just sort of like to keep my mind busy, I was thinking about um, what kind of name I'd want for my business and what really, you know, felt like it resonated and felt good and reflective and and sort of, you know, heart and soul is sort of just the, the love of running, the joy of running, and um, and really the passion that I feel for it and that I, I hope that I can share with other people. So that's how Heart and Soul was born, right on a boat when I was trying to <laughs> occupy myself. Yeah. Boy, you know, we're in such an age of, you know, with all our social media and, and technology that we have, you know, it's great because I remember when I first started running, I mean, you, you know, 20 years ago too, for you, we didn't have all this stuff that we have today. You know, everything's like right at our fingertips, but a lot of, you know, sometimes what at least I'll try to do it. I'm, I'm sure you might be the same way is just, you know, maybe one day a week, just get out and run with no, you know, no watch, no phone, you know, or, or, you know, at least have the phone, but, you know, keep it off to the side or something. Just, you know, for the pure pleasure of just getting out there running and not having to worry about, you know, what's my pace at right now or, you know, what's my heart rate right now? I'm just out there running to run, you know, back to back to what yeah. nature has to offer. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that's really important. I definitely have a strong no phone policy while running. So it's in a pocket or in my koala clip. Big shout out to them. They make an awesome product. Uh, and it goes right into my sports bra in the back. And it just clips in. And I don't even know about it until I'm back. Uh, or on the treadmill, it's on do not disturb, which helps. I'm not a heavy watch person. It's on, but I'm not staring at it. And I've sort of had to train this habit out of myself because I used to be checking it all the time. And now when it gives the haptic feedback, I check and I know, do I need to adjust anything? And I just take a look then. But, you know, for a while, really to break myself of that habit, I started running my easy runs without it because I just needed to not know what that was. So just, just watch free. You know, it's, it's, but really, I would say that this no running with music experiment has gone really well, and I'm sort of feeling like I can feel the paces a bit better. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that, because I noticed, you know, a lot of times when I'll go go to a race, and, you know, I may not be running that day. I'm just kind of there volunteering or just seeing people run, and a lot of times I'll just go to race just, just to see, you know, the people run. But most of the time, the lead runners are not even, they're not wearing the headphones, you know, they're not carrying their phone. They might have their, you know, their garment on or, you know, just, you know, for the, for the pace or whatever. But it, it's interesting that a lot of times you will see those lead runners, they're just out there running and they know their pace so well, you know, that they've, mm-hmm. they've kind of, you know, no music for me. I'm, you know, most of the time they're going to be done with their 5k pretty quick anyway. So they may not necessarily want to <laughs> want to use it, but you know, that's that's sure. one thing or strategy I've I've tried to use a little bit is where if I'm doing a race just 
not even not even wear you know the the headphones or the phone or just you know keep the phone in the car and just run out do do a race for the pure joy of it and trying to hit my pace just by doing that you know um sure yeah yeah i love it so over the years um have you been able to avoid the injury bug or you know most people that run get injured at some point in time. How have you have you been able to to overcome any type of injuries? My injury list is not lengthy, and it's all been really stupid, like most people's lists. Uh, I gave I would say probably the thing that I did that was the most obnoxious was that I gave myself tendonitis by tying my shoes too tight. Sometimes it's called lace bite. Uh, it affects the top of your foot, like where you pull your laces. Mm-hmm. And I was in a shoe that was a bit too wide. And so I felt like I had a lot of lateral motion at the time. And uh, and to counteract that, I would pull them a bit tighter. Uh, that was not a great idea. And it took, you know, a while, six weeks, eight weeks to sort of bounce back from that. Uh, more recently in May, I fell, I had a pretty bad fall on a trail run when I was out in Oregon and I ended up with some scar tissue. Um, I rolled my ankle and, um, man, that was tough. It, it took a while to come back. I had some grafting over the summer and yeah, I mean, falls, nothing you can, I don't know, you you know, you kind of go back in your mind to the moment right before the accident happened. You think, oh gosh, what would... I do different, but honestly, I think things need to break for a reason. They're just weak. And really, an injury, there's a big silver lining to any injury, and that is your ability to spend time focusing on a weakness and making it stronger. So for me, there's been a few things. You know, I think 10-ish years ago, I had some uh, fasciitis issues in my right foot, not my left, just the right. Um, You know, it was... I rolled it. I stretched it out. I, I did all the things they said you should do back then. And honestly, I don't even really remember what happened back then. It just sort of disappeared. It's never come back. I still roll everything. I would say that I, I call it my prehab routine. So it's not very glamorous, um, but every night uh, I foam roll, I stretch. I have a whole routine of things that I do. It takes longer than I'd like to admit, but I need to do it. And if I don't do it, things go wrong. So really, some of my strength training is focused on single side work because I tend to have a bit of an imbalance and I want to work on the single side. So one side doesn't compensate for the other Um, to combat any kind of back issues. I usually work a lot on my core and my core strength and um, yeah, the rest of it's just things like, you know, hip openers, clamshells, banded work, um, the cable standing abductor and adductor. I would say, my holy grail, ride or die, must do strength training exercise. It keeps the outer hip and uh, the inner thigh strong. And uh, yeah, I, I make sure I always work that into my routine. Yeah, you know, it's, they say that that's the the most important, especially for runners, is you know the core strength, but just keeping those those hips flexible, stretched out. You know, I was dealing with the with the abdomen groin pull, and you know, since September, and it, you know, I'm I'm still kind of dealing with it. You know, I had some dry needling done, and that kind of that kind of helped. But it's, you know, we don't have 
nearly the the type of trainers that you know the professional athletes and, and stuff have so we just kind of like do it on our own to, to try to to try to get it fixed so sure yeah yeah it's a labor of love for sure so what type of uh, what type of shoes do you normally normally run in do you have some that you kind of enjoy versus others do you try a lot of different um, a lot of different brands I know a lot of people once they you know get used to one they'll kind of stick with it but what I've tried to focus on is is running in you know a, like an eight millimeter drop, but then even going to like a zero drop, and, and just kind of mixing and matching to help you know strengthen different parts of you know different parts of the the running legs. Yeah, definitely um, having a variety through um, heel drop will load different muscles in the body. Uh, I'm a big fan of it too. Uh, so I like kind of everything. Uh, I'm a neutral runner and that puts me in a good position to be able to wear lots of different shoes. I kind of, I'm not brand loyal, honestly. Um, I love to try everything. If it's new, I want to check it out. Right. And right. So that's, that's kind of my, you know, if it works, it works. And when it stops working or I want to change my mind about something, I just go try something else. And sometimes I circle back, you know, there's shoes like the New Balance Zante, I think I've gone through eight pairs of that shoe. And it is, you know, it is a six millimeter drop and it's a lightweight shoe. You will burn through it fast. You can feel the ground. So if you like that kind of connected feeling, it does give you that. Uh, I would say that these days I run in a higher cushion shoe. So what worked for me before isn't working for me in the same way anymore and that's okay. And so I'm just sort of rolling with what works when it works. So right now, if we're asking specific shoes, there's a few pairs of Brooks that I really enjoy. I love the Launch 5. I think it is just a beauty of a shoe. I love the Brooks Ghost. I use that for recovery running. It is a squishy, neutral, cushioned. Oh, it is just a little miracle of a shoe. I love that thing. Uh, the Hyperion from Brooks is a lovely little racing shoe. If you're going to do some speed work, that's nice. It will break down quickly despite the 10 millimeter drop. Um, so you can't do any real long training stuff in it, but it's a great shoe. I think the Adidas Adios Boston is a wonderful shoe too. It's got that, um, you know, the boost material in there and that will last a really long time. That shoe made like iron. Now, have you ever had yeah, your so your running gait looked at? Because I noticed, you know, a lot of times the, some people what you know what they'll do is they just they, they you know they go to the wrong type of shoe store. They get put in a shoe that doesn't really make a lot of sense for them, and you know they end up getting injured. And you know, I know there's a lot of stores now that actually put you on a treadmill, videotape you, and kind of get a sense of you know what type of runner you are, whether you're overpronator or, or you know whatever it is that did you kind of go through that process or you just figure it out on your own? No, I, I definitely got a gait analysis done. I needed to. And I, I think, you know, part of it was I needed to do a lot of work on my form, which, you know, I had, you know, and, and by the way, you should always get fitted. I'm just going to say publicly, you should always get fitted for shoes. Even if it's, you're buying shoes a year later or six months out, just have someone check because your gait will change in time. And if, uh, if you've had any injury or you're compensating, you know, there might be something that needs to be looked at by someone who can point you in the right direction. And of course this is an art and not a science. 
So, you know, sometimes requires trial and error and open-mindedness. Um, but I did have a gait analysis, uh, and, you know, I, I've um, been a neutral runner for a while. I was in support shoes for a long time. I did have a bit of a, um, a, a like a, a pelvic rock, you know, happening. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of women can have this if um, the hips are weak. So, you know, you tend to, the pelvis tends to rock forward a bit when they run. It's sometimes called a hip dip. You have a little bit of a, it looks like you're collapsing when you're landing and then the knee kind of leans in a bit. So, um, so really I had to work on strengthening each leg and, and making sure that my toes are always pointing forward. I have this right foot that seems to want to go on its own direction, kind of like externally rotates. So really just working on getting that leg to sort of come back together. Yeah, so definitely I always make sure that I'm in the right shoes. It's so hard to to work on that stuff too though, you know, cuz when you're out you know, when you're running fast, you t- actually you know, when you're running fast, you tend to to probably run with better form than when you're out there running when you're out there running slow. But, you know, cuz I I kind of do the same thing. I kind of have that the left leg just kind of follows around. It just it looks weird, but mm-hmm. but as I hit, you know, I I pretty much hit at a mid strike. So, it actually kind of works its way out, you know, which is, which is good. So, um, and I knew exactly why I had the Achilles injury. So, you know, I, I know the, the reason with, you know, reason for that, but, but, you know, it's interesting. You see a lot of the professional runners or, or the top notch runners, they all look like they pretty much have the same running style, you know, but it, when we see them running, it looks like, ah, eh, they're just, you know, running a nice, easy pace, but they're running like five minute miles. And that's, that's fast, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of that really has to do with form, right? Because good form means you're not sort of muscling through those faster paces. Right. It, it actually, you become more efficient. So, uh, you know, running the controlled fall, so there's a little bit of a, that lean from the ankles, not from the waist, you know, and, and your legs will fall away your arms too. So if you pump your arms, your legs go faster. And, you know, keeping your arms in, right, so not winging them out like chicken arms, uh, and not crossing the midline like you're kind of punching, like you're boxing. But that, those are waste of energy. So really, when you're kind of going forward, when all of you is pointing in the same direction and you're leaning forward into it and you have, you know, uh, enough flexibility in your hips that your knee is able to kind of drive, right? So your knee is able to come up. You're expending less energy. It's a little bit smoother. Right. So that's why working on your form is really important. Yeah, I've only seen a handful of professional runners that have just like these weird running styles. I think Rita Jep too, I think is one of them and she's ran the Boston and New York and she just her legs just seem to kick out all the time, but yet, you know, she's running, you know, 520 pace for for a marathon. So, and she's never been she hasn't been injured, so, you know, don't change the running style or, you know, mm-hmm. runners that just have the much higher cadence. Like the the Japanese runners, I think that I've seen sometimes they seem to have just a much higher cadence so less of a less of a you know leg kick and they're just you know mm-hmm. it seems like they're running much much faster um, but I think that's you know keeps them from getting injured too so I guess you know whatever works for them um, in in most sure. cases so tell me sure. Nicole what was the most exciting place that you've ever got to run not you know not necessarily a race but you know i'm sure you've traveled outside of the united states or any any place that kind of just jumps out at you and be like oh my gosh that was just the most beautiful place to run at yeah i so 
I do love to travel, so I've run pretty much everywhere I've traveled. Um, there's a few things that stick out for me, for sure. Um, one of them is Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and that is in the, the Elk Reserve. And I, man, it was overwhelmingly gorgeous in a way that I, I can't even believe that it's real. I really can't. I, I got there and I looked around and I thought to myself, I think this might be where God lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really what I thought to myself. I thought this cannot be real. So beautiful. And it was so peaceful. And I was the only one out there and I saw some animals and I stopped. I took a bunch of pictures. It was, yeah, it was breathtaking. And there's no pictures of me running because <laughs> I was alone. And <laughs> and so I you know, just have to imagine I was there, but it was really wonderful, and uh, I don't regret a moment of it. Um, running in Oregon this past May uh, was, it was just, you know, out in Sisters in in uh, Oregon, and it was, it was just beautiful, but I would say that I've really enjoyed running in Italy, and I, every chance I get, I will do that, um, so yeah, so really, those are just some, some of the places that I've really loved running. Did I see a post recently that you you had where you ran? I, was it in Budapest? Yes, I've been to Hungary a bunch of times. Oh, okay, I'm Hungarian, so that's where my family is from. And um, excellent. You know, I've never been there, so I've, actually, I've never been out of North America. So I'm, you know, even though I'm I'm Hungarian, I have a lot of family over there. I've, I've never traveled over there, but you know, I always thought, I, you know, I've seen some people uh, with you know a local roadrunners club here where, you know, they pick certain marathons throughout the year, but they tend to, like, travel to do them. You know, I have one lady, she actually went, she, just, she has family over in Italy, so she went over there and did a marathon. And then there's other people, you know, from Ohio that go down to Tennessee or Florida or California. You know, a couple people did Big Sur out in California. So just, you know, mm-hmm. focusing their, actually taking their vacation time and going and doing a marathon, that's what running is all about. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's fantastic. I think for some people that makes sense for them. I tend to sort of not do that, but, um, but you know, I think that like what feels best is what you should definitely do. And it sounds awesome. Right. So what is your, in closing, have you met like any, you know, famous runners out there, you know, like the, you know, the Meb Kofleskis or, you know, Shailene Flanagan, um, I'm actually trying to get an interview with her, but she's not responding to me. Go figure. But <laughs> <laughs> she's a little busy right now. But I know. I know. Yeah. Like, give me five or ten minutes of your time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't even read the messages. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I will say uh, I haven't met any like traditionally, I guess, or in a big circuit famous runners, but there's a lot of Boston folks who are really fast. Um, you know, my co-coach is, you know, I know that he wants to qualify for Olympic trials. And so he ran his first marathon, uh, in 226. Wow. So, uh, and that was at, um, the CIM. So he just ran that. And so, uh, yeah, I would say that he's, he's definitely <laughs> one of the fastest people I know, um, for sure. Yeah. That's so amazing. I, there's a lot of folks around who are just, you know, you kind of don't, Maybe they don't make the news or something, but man, it's they're an inspiration to watch in person. Absolutely, you know those are the, and that's yeah. why when, when I do write, you know, races, five Ks, you know, whatever I do, 
as soon as I finish, I tend to go like back to the the finish line and just cheer other people on because you know I'm middle of the pack person. Um, but it's you know a lot of times the people that are finishing you know in the back they don't really get the crowd cheering them on or anything like that. So you know they need it just as much as as you know the rest of us do. Uh, so that's that's always been a passion of mine is just to cheer everybody on that that comes across that finish line. I agree. And, you know, I sort of sometimes find myself cheering people on in real life, just on when I see them running, too. And so I yell things out and they yell things out. And and sometimes I think really the the best way to be connected to your own community is to sort of be part of your community. And so if that means that I just, you know, clap for somebody on their morning run and and we both, you know, smile and laugh, I think that's good, too. That works for me. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's the coach in you. Um, Nicole, <laughs> I, I truly appreciate, you know, the time that, that you've given me. I know that we've kind of just even hit the surface on a lot of this, this stuff, but you know, it, we're over an hour, so I didn't want to keep you, keep you that much longer. I know it's, um, you know, it's not your five to eight times. So, but again, I, <laughs> I truly appreciate it. And you've, you know, definitely been an inspiration to me just, you know, following you on Instagram and, you know, seeing, you know, comments that, that people make and, and all your different posts. So please just, you know, keep that up and, and know that it's, you know, it's touching a lot of people and, and just, you're an inspiration to us all. Thank you so much. That, that means everything. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And, you know, hopefully in, in the future, we'll be able to do this again. Absolutely. You just let me know. All right. We'll do. Uh, This has been another episode of Running with Laz. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.